come on up. Folks at Holland Heights Church, they're just used to this. I tell them, I'm not starting until you all come on up. So that's, uh, <laughs> so, so come on up, come on up. There you go. Excellent, excellent, perfect. Great. Jeff, um, my, uh, and Gata, I, I, um, Psalm 103. Where are you? Where are you guys? You were here. Just, there you are. Okay. That's all right. That's all right. Um, <clears throat> Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. He heals all your diseases and forgives all your iniquities and redeems your life from the pit and crown. Satisfies your desires with good things and crowns you with, with love and compassion. Um, I'll give this to you. This is a freebie. I shouldn't do this because every time I've taught here, I haven't finished my material. Um, you don't know. I, hopefully you don't. Or maybe you do. You say, is that all he's got? Um, but, um, but I want to give this to you because, because your, your kids are, um, and you probably are aware of this. There is something about walking in the land um, and, and when I talk about pictures and being a picture person, and especially Egypt, especially Egypt, I mean, Israel too, but Egypt is just, I, on Sunday we began and I talked about Alf and Bait, I think it was Sunday, whatever, um, and he put those two, the strong one in the house is the uh, father, is the word for father. I talk about how big the pyramids are, they're huge, they're huge, they're a sign of Egypt's power. Um, and and um, I, I, if I say Abu Simbel, do you, do you know what, does anybody here know what Abu Simbel is? And that's not surprising. Um, Abu Simbel is a temple that the Egyptian government moved when they built the high dam, the Aswan Dam. And it was going to be submerged in Lake Nasser. But they moved it, they moved it um, on the shore. It's iconic. It's a uh, New Kingdom period, built by Ramses II. And it has the four seated, sta seated statues of Ramses there. Um, some of you who remember when TV was black and white, <laughs> in the late 60s, uh, National Geographic did a spread. It, was, it so impressed me back there as a, when I was a, as a kid. And huge statues, four seated statues. Th also, let me just give you this before I get to Psalm 103. Um, when, we, when we're in Luxor, and Luxor is, is, um, is ancient Thebes, and Thebes is the capital of New Kingdom Egypt. Um, Memphis, today Cairo, was capital in an Old Kingdom Egypt. Um, and and we, Thebes, or Luxor today, uh, is where the Valley of the Kings is. And, and many of you know, are familiar with the Valley of the Kings, uh, especially with uh, Howard Carter and Tutankhamun. Uh, his discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb in 1922 in the Valley of the Kings. And, uh, and as you go to the Valley of the Kings, what the ancient Egyptians did is, and I mentioned this to you when we were talking about the pyramids, about, but didn't make a big deal out of it, about um, uh, Khafra's pyramid. And there's, uh, that was the picture where the Sphinx, if you were here Sunday, the Sphinx was in the front and Khafra was behind. Um, and the Sphinx is guarding right beside what was the lower mortuary temple, then there's an upper mortuary temple. In the New Kingdom period, pharaohs would, um, there were two things that they had their heart set on. Number one was to have their tomb dug, and number two, and in, in conjunction with that was to have their mortuary temple. 
the largest mortuary temple yet to be excavated, and right now there are pretty aggressive excavations going on there, and reconstruction, um, is the mortuary temple of Amunhotep III. Um, and Amunhotep III uh, had a son who he named Amunhotep the Fourth. Very good. You can do this too. Um, uh, but Amunhotep IV changed his name to Akhenaten. And some of you might recognize Akhenaten because Akhenaten was uh, the pharaoh who consolidated all of Egyptian worship into the worship of one god, the Aten. And, um, and so all of Egypt consolidated all of it. And um, uh, did so for about 15 years. And then he died. Uh, he had a son, Tutankhaten. Tutankhaten means made in the image of Aten. And uh, he changed his name to Tutankhamun, made in the image of Amun, the hidden one. Uh, he died as a little boy. I, I've gotten so far off track of Psalm 103, haven't I? <laughs> um, he died as a little boy, and Egypt went into a kind of a crisis period, and it wasn't until a general by the name of Ramses came along and, and, and became pharaoh of all of Egypt. And that was Ramses I, and that began that dynasty, that began that chapter there. Well, uh, uh, um, Amenhotep III, huge mortuary temple. What, what has the temples been excavated, but was always been standing there since he built it, are these two colossus of uh, uh, Amenhotep III sitting, sitting. In fact, if you, if you want to see what they look like, you can Google uh, the Colossus of Memnon. Uh, two British gentlemen, apparently, were walking by in, in the 1800s, and the wind was blowing, and blowing in such a way that it sounded as, as if the statues were mourning. Um, and and British, British people tend to be into the classics, and Memnon is mentioned by uh, uh, Homer in the Iliad, uh, the great battle of Troy, and he dies in that battle, and his mother hears about it, and she starts to cry. And, 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 and Homer makes a big deal of her cry. And so when these two guys are walking by, they say, oh, that, those are the Colossi of Memnon. That's where, they, that, that's where they get their name. Anyhow, these two statues are seated there. Just enormous. Enormous. Um, okay, that's the backdrop. Okay, now for you. This is for you. Okay. We talk about... German Shepherd, no, Great Dane, German Shepherd, Chihuahua. Yes, we talked about that. And, and if I translate every one of them as dog, okay, uh, I'd be right, I'd be right, I'd be right, but they're different words, there's different content there. That happens especially with this. In Hebrew, there are at least three words for bless or praise. One of the words for praise is hallelujah. You recognize that word, hallelujah. But what does hallelujah mean? Okay, Hallelujah means to shine forth. That's what it means, to shine forth. A second word for praise is yudah. When Leah uh, became pregnant with her fourth child, uh, a son, uh, and he was born, she says, now I will praise the Lord, and she called him Yudah, God praiser, okay? But God praiser, if you, and, and some of these things, you don't find this in the first lexicon. You got, you got to look through a bunch of lexicon, which, or dictionaries. Um, 
Yuda has the idea about praising as in pointing out. Pointing out. So uh, Tim Tebow, uh, football player here, uh, wonderful Christian man, uh, would, would, if, if he scored a touchdown, or, but he would, he would put his finger in the air. There's many Christians on, on the sport field in various sports. That, That's my God. That's my God. It's interesting. It's interesting. When the tabernacle would move, the first tribe that would lead the way would be Judah, the God pointers. Isn't that interesting? The God pointers. And, and our, 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 our Messiah would come from the tribe of the God pointers. And it's interesting, in Samson's narrative, uh, Samson schleps those gates. Remember that story? And the Philistines are not, are not happy about this. And they go to Judah, and they're going to go and kill about 3,000 men of Judah. Now, Samson's from the tribe of Dan. I don't know why this overflows to Judah. But anyhow, they, they want to go, and then the, 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 the men of Judah Say to the Philistines, why you, why, why, maze, maze, which is, why us? Yeah, why, why us? Uh, and, and the Philistine says, well, give us Samson. And so the men of Judah find Samson in the cave, and you know what they say to Samson? This tells you how bad the situation is. You know what they say to Samson? They say to Samson, and I quote, don't you know that the Philistines rule over us? Now, you've got you to understand, when the God pointers are telling you the Philistines rule over us and not God, that's a pretty sad state of affairs. The God pointers. In Hebrew, there are three words for praise. One, hallelujah, which means to shine forth. A second word for praise is Yudah, the God to point out. And a third word for praise is Baruch. Say Baruch. Baruch means to bend the knee, which is interesting, okay? Because I understand how hallelujah, shine forth, means to praise. I understand how yudah, to point, means to praise. But how does yudah, or pardon me, how does baruch? So Beth, I'm going to ask you to come up here and help me. Just, yeah. Could you all just give it up for the lovely and gracious Beth, please? Oh, see, never mind. Okay, I'm in so much trouble right now. Okay, let me, <laughs> let, me, let me ask you. Let me ask you. Who's bigger, me or Beth? I am, right? It, okay, use your outdoor voice. Just, this is a participatory kind of. Okay, I'll, once more, right across the plate, you'll get this one right. Okay, who's bigger, me or Beth? I am. Okay, now let me ask you. Who's bigger, me or Beth? To bless, to bend the knee, is to make someone else bigger. Now notice there isn't any less George. All I've done is shape myself in a way that I make someone else bigger. Now I told you the stories about Abu Simbal with the seated statues of Pharaoh, I told you the story about Amenhotep III because when we walked by those statues, their feet are up here. There's a great block and then their feet and legs and the chair goes up beyond that. 
So everybody who walks by those statues walks under their what? Under their feet. Do you know what the Ark of the Covenant is? It's a number of things, but one of the things it is, it's the footstool of God. Love to bring you to the Cairo Museum, to one of Tutankhamun's throne chairs. And he has a footstool in front of the throne chair, and there's eight, the eight great bows of Egypt, which was an idiom for the enemies of Egypt. It was on his footstool. Where would his, when he puts his feet on the stool, where are his enemies? Under his feet. I could show you the sandals that he wore that they got out of his tomb. And on his sandals are the bows of Egypt. So he walks on his sandal, he's walking on his enemies. Why are the pyramids so big? To make you feel small. Why do you walk under the feet of those pharaohs? To make you feel small. And you serve a God who became small. He didn't consider glory something to be grasped, but he emptied himself to make you big. Sometimes people ask me, because the rabbis say, you ought to bless God a hundred times a day. So when people say things to me, like nice things, oh, I really appreciate the talk, or I really I said, thank you, bless God. Thank you, bless God. Thank you, bless God. And sometimes people say, George, how can we bless God? You bless God. You baruch. That's the word in Psalm 103. Baruch. Bless the Lord. Make God bigger. Now, in an ancient context, That's huge. They're pictures. I can't overemphasize the power of pictures. Egypt is just one picture after another picture after another picture after another picture. And that whole bend the knee, Baruch. And in my opinion, you bend the knee and you make someone else bigger. And I'll just ride this horse just another little bit further, because then that helps me again. Because I don't know about you guys, but it is counterintuitive to feed enemies when they're hungry and to give them something to drink when they're thirsty. It is counterintuitive for George to, when somebody slaps me on one side of the face, to offer them the other. I usually would like to offer my own slap in return. But it is making yourself smaller to make them bigger. And so when the kids are memorizing, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, it's just make God bigger. Make him bigger. Anyhow, that's free, okay? Um, here. Ready? Let's stand, and let's... Are you ready to say it with me, or do you still want to say it after me? With me? Very good. Okay. Ready? And if, let's just, <laughs> you know, and if you can't, go, if you can't say it, just go, ah, wah, wah, just mouth it, okay? Fake it till you make it. Okay, here we go. Ready? Let's say Shema together. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Ve'ahavta et Adonai Eloecha, Bechol lavavcha, 
ובכל נפשך ובכל מאודיך ואהבת רעך כמוך. אמן. Together in English, declare, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, the very words of God. Father, we come before you, we bless you, and, we, and Father, what a rich place that this is, and how you have provided. It was an honor, Lord, to speak to the leaders and the counselors and the staff here last evening, and we pray, Lord, your favor upon them and their houses. We pray also, Lord, especially for Dan and his family traveling to the Mayo Clinic, and Lord, um, and yet he, he serves, and we see the, your joy in him, and we just pray, Lord, for, for eyes to see for doctors uh, and, and your healing graces and, and your favor upon that family. We just, we're honored with Jeff and Haddad this evening and their words, and Lord, just pray your favor upon their ministry and their work as well. Now, Lord, take the efforts that have been prepared. Um, we try to give you everything we can to bless, and though it would be my voice, it is your word. And may your spirit dance truths into not just our minds, not just into our hearts, but in our bones, we pray, so that your truths would just become part of just who we are. All this to your honor and to your glory in your name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I will tell you this, um, and this is also a freebie, and I can't give you too many more freebies because otherwise, I, why did I work on the PowerPoint? Um, but um, uh, Jewish, Jewish burial practices in the first century um, was all about um, the preservation of the bones. Uh, Egyptians embalmed to prevent decay, uh, in the first century, uh, when, when Jesus was embalmed, it was to promote decay. Uh, the, the individual would be placed in the tomb, and then uh, there would be spices put on the body to promote decay. And then after about a year, the anniversary of the death of the individual, they would return to the tomb, go to the koch. Pull, the koch is the hole or the slot that the body would be put in. They would pull the body out, unwrap the body, and then there would be the bones. And they would lovingly take the bones and put it into a, what was called an ossuary. An ossuary is a bone box made of clay. Um, and it's based, the size of it's based upon the femur, the largest bone in the body. And so if it was an infant, the ossuary would be smaller. If it was an adult male or like me, it would be bigger. And then the ossuary, the ossuary would be taken and put into a chamber in the tomb area with other ossuaries of those who've gone before, and that was what was known as being gathered to your fathers. Okay? So it's all about the bones. To the, to the, do you remember um, Joseph? He's in Egypt, right? He says, when he dies, be sure to take my bones. What's the bones? It's all about the bones. It's all about the, so Hitler, Hitler knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing when he had all those ovens and burned the bones. He knew exactly what he was doing. That, that was not, that, there was a lot of things going on there, and that was certainly one of those. And by the way, um, do you know what Holocaust means? Holocaust comes from the Hebrew, and we'll study this tomorrow, the Hebrew word for ola, and ola Ola offering is, is a whole burnt offering. Holocaust means whole burnt offering. I think 
I think what God wants is he wants us, he wants us to, to, to hear with our ears so that you can learn and it goes into your mind. And, and I, I told you, and I hope tomorrow evening, I think tomorrow morning um, is a time for you to ask questions, and hopefully there's some questions out there, because I want you to be Bereans, okay? So with your mind, okay, you know, but also with your heart, and we talked about we just, we're here not only to learn in order to know more, but we're here in order to live more boldly, but to live in such a way that it's, what I tell my people at Holland Heights, I want in your bones believing. In your bones believing. So, like for me, uh, growing up, my mother, <laughs> my mother just drilled it into us. Yeah, shorts, use your manners, they last a lifetime, eh? She would say, that was a Dutch brogue on that one, sorry, okay. She would say, George, use your manners, they last a lifetime. Or she said, George, use your manners, you can't wear them out. And I, you know, so manners, 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 manners. And, and it was, I was just, I, not even two years ago, I was going through uh, Myers, which is a big store, big store, um, um, Myers Thrifty Acres. <laughs> uh, Myers Thrifty. Um, and, and I was, at, this was before the scanners were all going, and I was going through, and, and um, the person at the counter was taking my stuff through, and, and I, would, I would give her stuff, and, and, and I said, you know, whatever. And I said, thank you, and, and you know, thank you. We're just having an encounter. And I'm, I'm about to walk away, and, and she says to me, she says, sir, she calls, calls me that. She says, thank you for using your manners. You have such nice manners. <laughs> you know, so, and, I, and for me, I mean, I, I didn't even know I used my manners. My manners are in my bones. They're in my bones, okay? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you? Inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, you did it. And I think, it's not in the Bible, but I think their response would be, well, you mean that counts? I mean, you mean that counts? Yes, it's Jesus, that counts big time. That's in your bones believing. It's your instinctive, just being Christ-like without even trying. Uh, it's, just, it's just the low-hanging fruit of being like Jesus. Um, in your bones believing. Why are we talking about that? Okay. Um, oh, okay. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> at Holland Hall Heights Church, they I have no idea what just happened. Um, okay, last evening, we did not get done. And I, what I would like to do tonight, and, and I want to honor our time, and we don't have enough time, but I want to share with you one of my one of my favorite teachings, and it's one of my favorite teachings because when I found this out, it, it um, affected in a wonderfully positive way my walk with God. And our, all of our talks up until now have been building up to this, okay? So I'm going to try to get it in by 9 o'clock, but I might go a little over. Not a lot, okay? But if, okay, so... Um, Last night we talked about presence. Remember, if you were here last night, and we and we said every time in Hebrew the word for presence is panim or pan pane presence face panim is faces. So every time you see the word presence, it really is faces, and not, doesn't mean faces plural. But remember, we talked about in Hebrew to to emphasize something you because they don't have bold, and they don't have underlining, they don't have italicized, um, they don't have capital letters. Uh, so if you want to emphasize something, you would either repeat it, 
kadosh, 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 holy, 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 or you would make it plural, okay? So, Bershit Elohim, in the beginning, God's created. It's really, that's what it, you could translate as God's, plural, because that's what, it's plural. But it's not plural, the rabbis would say, that's silly, no, that means God created, okay? That, that's the way they emphasize. So, pana is singular, panim is plural for the word face. So every time, last night we, we kind of ended with encouraging you that in the, in the Hebrew text, the Old Testament, when you read it, and you see the word presence referring to God, then you can translate that as face. And I think you'll, I'm going to show you some stuff that I think is pretty cool. Now, here's one. Um, the first time we got together was Sunday morning, and I, we kind of launched on Genesis and, and uh, found some things there, hopefully, that you say, I never... I never really read it that slowly. That wasn't asking those kind of questions, but that's interesting. Let me show you this. Um, Genesis 1, verse 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, or formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Now, darkness was over, because we have some Hebrew scholars here. You could translate that preposition as over, but you could also translate it as on. So the earth was formless and void. In Hebrew, tohu vavohu, the rabbis would just simply translate that as one word. The earth was chaotic. And darkness was on the, not the surface, but darkness is on the face of the deep. In other words, chaos has a face, and its face is darkness. And the Spirit of God was hovering over, well, again, that's the same preposition, the Spirit of God was hovering on the waters, but the translators didn't translate a word for you. They left a word out, and that's okay. I mean, it's not okay, but I mean, that's all right, because the translators are trying to convey an idea to you. They, they can't bat a thousand. I mean, they can't get everything, um, and so... But, but that's why I went to seminary, and that's why I learned Hebrew. And that's why it's important pastors and teach biblical, as much as in the original languages. What they, the word that they left is that the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was on the face of the deep. That's kind of my translation. And the Spirit of God was hovering on the face of the waters. In other words, on Sunday we talked about God. What's the first thing that God says? First thing he says, let there be light. And I talked about how important that motif is as it plays out in the text. But much more than that, God just doesn't say, let there be light, but there's chaos. And chaos has a face, and it's darkness. And God faces the chaos. And it's then he says, let there be light. You, you, if you ever wonder where Jesus got his brave, why, how, why, where did Jesus learn to be so brave? I will tell you, like father, like son. When you see Jesus, you see the father. And the father faced the emptiness. He faced the chaos. He faced the darkness. And he said, let there be light. See, when you, now in, in Ezekiel 40 verse 4, see with your eyes, hear with your ears. So in our time together, I've been working this idea of the face of God, and, and, and I'm trying to give you eyes to see so that when we get to a passage of Scripture, you're going to see things, hopefully, 
And the Holy Spirit may use it to touch your hearts and may give direct your path in a way as he has directed mine. But let's, let's keep going then to get there. Okay, so. Yeah, okay, well, let's just ask that question. In the Hebrew text, <laughs> um, I would ask you, have you ever wondered something? Um, which you say, your, your answer would be maybe, no, we never have. <laughs> which could be disconcerting to me, but I've heard that before. So, uh, but have you ever noticed, have you ever wondered, or I'm going to invite you into my wondering, why it is that people, when people, why did people worship falling face down? When when, when, when God wants us face to face, when he wants Moses to count the people by looking at every, lifting up every face, why, why, did it, why, why is this falling face down a kind of worship? Now, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just asking why. Okay. Well, you, because here, um, the tabernacle. You know, they got the whole thing put together. And then, and then God shows up, and there's fire, the presence of God. Fire came down and out from the face of God, of the Lord. Now you got that. And, and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions and the altar. And when all the people shouted, saw it, they shouted for joy. So this is a happy worship. That's happy worship. And they all fell face down. Then, then here's one with Abraham. Abraham was 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai. For those of you who remember Amy Grant, remember? I am, this is where she got it, El Shaddai. I am El Shaddai, walk before me and be blameless. We'll talk about that one in a little bit. And I will confirm my covenant between you, me, and you, and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram's response is he fell face down. In fact, Israelites fall face down, Abraham falls face down, Balaam falls face down, Joshua falls face down, Goliath falls face down, David falls face down, Ezekiel falls face down, everybody who worships God falls face down. And I'm wondering why is that? Why is that? Have you ever had the opportunity, by your own hand, or your own mouth, or your own life, to offend deeply someone else. And then you go and face them. You don't want to face them. You don't want to face them at all. In fact, you want to avoid them. And we learned that from our parents in the garden. Because when they offended God, when they chose to eat with the snake, when they chose to be influenced by the snake more than their heavenly father, he came looking for them. And they were hiding. He wanted to see them. They didn't want to see him. And I wonder, and this is just an ATG, okay? This is, there's no scholarly kind of thing with this, but as I'm connected the dots, this is the way it kind of forms up for me. I wonder, 
if the falling of face down is the best we can do as sinners in the presence of a holy, loving God. At that Whether we would put it in these words exactly, I don't know. But on some level, we in worship, whether it's worship filled with joy, worship filled with awe, that, that we, we fall face down because we can't face God and especially as believers in Yeshua HaMashiach and Jesus the Messiah, we fall face down because we know that our sins cost him Jesus. And we fall face down. All through the text, they fall face down. They fall face down. They fall face down. Do you have your Bibles Open up your Bibles. I want to show you something that is so cool, and I just found this not that long ago. Open up your Bibles if you have them. I think there's even Bibles in the chairs in front of you. If, you, if There was one by you, wasn't there, Beth? Um, open up to Matthew chapter 17. <laughs> Matthew chapter 17. Now, if your Bible's like my Bible, once you get to Matthew 17, boom, there it is, um, and, and you'll see it. Um, the NIV the version I have, has a nice little heading, the Transfiguration. So we're on the Mount of Transfiguration. Not sure which mountain it is. Okay, There's a couple of suggestions, um, but we don't know which one it exactly is. Was it Mount Tavor? Was it Mount Hermon? You know, but it's the Mount of Transfiguration. So let's not get hung up on that. But I want to show you something in this text. Here, have a listen. After six days, Jesus took with him See, and they're right there, okay? Why do you need to know that? Why do you know after six days, okay? Why, why do you need to know? Well, just let's do the math. Work with me on this one, okay? What number comes after six? Bingo, okay. So then there's something about this event that you need to know what happens on the seventh day, which is Shabbat. Now, it doesn't mean it was Shabbat. It just... He just wants you to know, Matthew, Matthew, whose audience is a Jewish audience, wants you to know that there's something Shabbat-esque about what's about to happen, okay? Um, after six days, Jesus, in my opinion, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brothers of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And there he was, there he was transfigured before him, and his face shone like the sun, and, and uh, his clothes became white as light. Just then, there appeared before them Musa, Moses, and Eliyahu, Elijah. And they were talking with Jesus. It seems like Jesus is right at home here. <laughs> Moses, nice to see you. Elijah. It's not like, it's not like, you know, isn't it, I, this is all free, too, I, and I probably shouldn't do this because it, but it's not like, I mean, at what point did Jesus meet Moses and Elijah before this? You ever think about that? I mean, how did he know it was Moses and Elijah? Like, he sees Moses and Elijah, oh, so you're Moses. Hey, good work at the Exodus thing. Elijah, yeah. Um, how did he know these guys? But he's altogether comfortable with them. And so the, there he is with Moses and Elijah, and he's talking with, they're talking with Jesus. Peter interrupts. He's excited. He says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Now, if you like it, 
I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, and do you ever have that? You're talking and somebody interrupts you, and, which means basically what you're saying doesn't really matter. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, okay? And he's interrupt. Who interrupts him? <laughs> a bright cloud. While he was speaking, a bright cloud enveloped him, and a voice from the cloud said, he was interrupted by El Shaddai, Yahweh. God. And he's interrupted and God says, and, and it's not that God is rude and it's not that Peter had a bad idea, in my opinion. I mean, the man meant well. Let's not be too hard on Peter. It's just that I think that God is so excited. He could hardly wait. And God says, this is my son whom I love and with him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Oh, quiz. Didn't know there was going to be a quiz. In Hebrew, how do you say listen? Use your outdoor voice. In Hebrew, how do you say listen? Shema. And Shema, not just can you do your ears work. And Shema, not just do you understand. And Shema, not just do you understand in your move, but Shema, pattern your lives after what he's telling you. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell, what does your Bible say? Face down. They fell face down. And they were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Now, here's my thought. I'm just going to give it to you. It doesn't say that Moses and Elijah were gone. It doesn't say that. They may have been gone, but what if they're not? I got to tell you, I've done my share of weddings. And in my generation, in the season in which I've been called to minister these weddings, it's kind of a little uncomfortable. In fact, for me, I think, because you know, I, I come with a message and we want God at the center. You know, the old Ecclesiastes thing, quarter three strands, make God that one cord, wrap your lives around God, and all that kind of thing. You know, we want God at the center of this. But then we get the unity thing, whatever the unity thing is. Water, rocks, sand, candles, whatever it is, okay? Then there's music playing, right? And, and I got some couples, and it just all they're doing is just gawking at each other, okay? I, I've been, I, would tell, I would tell some couples, you know, you got, you, you're paying this person to play this music. Look at that person, you know? <laughs> Enjoy the music. And most of them don't do that. They just look at each other. You know why? Because there's nobody else in the room except the two of them. And I wonder if Moses and Elijah were still there. And now they were looking at Jesus. They're, and Jesus lifts up their faces and says, I don't know if he's saying that. But he's saying, you don't have to be ashamed. Look at me. Look at me. And they're seeing Jesus face to face. Now Jesus told us that when you see him, you see the Father. You know, as the whole thing wraps up in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, 
Revelation chapter 22 has this verse, and it reads this way. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him, and they will see his face. Because it's finished. It's done. You can see his face. That's what God wants all all the time. That's where he lost the fall. You lost your face. He wants you in his face. And now because of his son, who I think, now I'm not dying on that hill, okay? But I think, doesn't say that Elijah and Moses left. Doesn't say they were gone. All it says is all they saw was Jesus. I don't know if his face had dimmed from the light. All right. Now, all of that, (laughs) uh, there's a clock right there. Um, All of that to get to this. Y'all have, I'm sure, a favorite verse in the Bible. I'm kind of partial to see with your eyes, hear with your ears. Ezekiel 40, verse 4. I've been riding that horse a little bit with you guys on that one. I don't know if you, and maybe you should, maybe... Maybe this could be a deal breaker <laughs> with us, but I don't do you have do you have a least favorite verse in the Bible? I did. I had a verse that was my least favorite. And I'll share it with you right now. Are you ready? My least favorite verse of the Bible is this. When Abram was 99 years old, we just read it a little while ago, Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, I am God Almighty, Lord of hosts, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Now the Hebrew word for blameless there literally means blameless. <laughs> okay? This is, in Hebrew it's tameh. Say tameh. Tameh. Tameh is the word that describes the offerings that you are to bring to God. The offerings you are to bring to God are without blemish. They're to be blameless. They're to be as close to perfect as you can. Okay? So let me translate this verse in George vernacular. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. Look at capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and don't get it wrong. Walk before me, and no mistakes. No mistakes. That verse bugged me. Because you see, I can't walk before God and not get it wrong. Okay? And then, in this mutual study... I was mentoring a young man by the name of Brad Gray. And Brad, one day, comes to my study in our mentoring session and says, George, you never guess what I found. What did you find, Brad? And I'm going to tell you what he found in a passage of Scripture that has so much cool stuff in it, I want to walk you through 
and then we'll land the plane, okay? Now, at Holland Heights Church, when I share God's word, um, I, I have the people stand. You can sit when I'm speaking, but I'd like you to stand when God speaks, okay? So if you would, please, would you just stand for a second? Then at Holland Heights Church, you know, we, we have the thing up here, but when I share God's word, I don't share it from up here. That's why I'm always walking along here. I share it here because you know where the tabernacle is? It's right in the center of the camp. See, God wants to be as close to you as possible. Hear these, for these are the very words of God. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord shall be chief amongst the mountains. It shall be exalted above all the other hills. And the nations shall come streaming to it, saying, Come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. For there he will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. And the word of the Lord will go from, from, from Zion, the Torah, from Jerusalem. And he will judge amongst the nations and settle disputes amongst the peoples. And they, they'll beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And no longer will nation take up sword against nation. And no longer will they train for war anymore. Oh, come, O oh house of Jacob. Let us walk in the light of the Lord, the very words of God. And may the same spirit that inspired these words enlighten them to our hearts and to our understanding that you and I would be a people who not only hear, but we would be a people who live his word. And all God's people said, and amen, have a seat. The words I just shared with you are from Isaiah chapter 2. Would you open up your Bibles, please, to Isaiah chapter 2? Because we're going to work through that. Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 2. In the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be... <laughs> what I'd like to do is in with this passage of Scripture, I kind of want to begin at the end, and we'll back up into it, okay? We'll go reverse, okay? We're going to ask the, we're gonna ask the text some questions, and watch the text answer the questions as we back up, okay? So, if you come with me, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 5, where it says, Come, O house of Jacob, and I have an NIV. I don't know what versions you all got, but I got an NIV, and it goes like this. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord, okay? Now, we back up from that one. And it says, nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Okay, my question is, why? So we'll look at the text again, and we go up a sentence that says, well, you see, they're not going to train for war anymore because what they've done is they beat their swords in the plowshares, and they beat their spears in the pruning hooks. Well, okay, um, it's hard to go to war with a plow <laughs> and pruning hooks. Uh, why would they do that? Well, he, which we know is God, so I'm going to put down, because God will judge between the nations, and he will dis settle disputes amongst many peoples. Now, the Hebrew word there for judge in Hebrew is shof, shofet, uh, plural shoftim. Say shoftim. Shoftim is a judge. Now, a, I understand what a priest does, and we'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow. I understand what a king does. I understand what a prophet does, but what is a judge? Well, Deuteronomy will tell you, Moses will tell you, that you're to appoint judges because judges oversee the economy. They make sure the economy is run properly. And you don't bribe a judge, the Torah says, because a bribe blinds the eye. 
do you, do you have any idea the injustices that have accumulated over the centuries in a place called Palestine, Israel? It is a Gordian knot. The injustices from one side to another side, well, we bombed you because you stabbed us. Well, we stabbed you because you did, the, we did, it was ours first. No, it was ours first. It's just one big Gordian knot. Alexander became king because when he was confronted with the Gordian knot that everybody tried to untie, but you couldn't untie it, all he did was take a sword and cut it. We need someone to untie the Gordian knot of injustices, the Gordian knot of race relations in this the Gordian knot of the abuse between men and women and pastors and parishioners and judges and police and the injustices of the world. Do you know how much evil is fueled by injustice? We need a judge. We need an incorruptible judge. And we got one. His name is God. And he will settle disputes amongst the nations. Now here's the question. Why would the nations listen to him? Why would the nations listen to him? Well, let's go back a verse. It says, well, the law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Well, it's like God's word has gone out into the world. It has gotten not only into people's heads, it's gotten into their hearts, it's getting into their bones. And they see the merit of God. Well, why, why would that happen? Well, let's go back a verse. It says, well, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. There he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. So the nations are coming and hearing the word, and taking it out and giving God space in which he can be so he can bless, and no longer do they have disputes, so they're beating their instrument. Do you know how much money, do you know how much, do you know how much money we would save if we didn't have to make any more aircraft carriers? Do you know how much money we would save if we didn't have to make another nuclear submarine? Uh, why, why would they do that? Well, many peoples will come and say, well, why would they do that? Well, it says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief amongst the mountains. It will be raised above the hills. Okay? So here, um, I put that verse up here. It will be raised above the hills. And, and here is a picture of the Mount of Olives from, well, from Mount Moriah. Uh, just behind us is, is the Temple Mount, the wall, the, the eastern wall. And, and uh, this is the Mount of Olives, and, and if you can see this tree line behind this church here, there's a kind of a wall. We walk down that street, we begin over to Mount of Olives over here, and we walk down. Uh, the church of the Gethsemane is, you can see the road right there, and you can see a little opening to the trees that's down underneath that church. We do a faith lesson. We, lesson. we walk up that road, we walk along that tree line, there's a beautiful garden over there. We spend some time, we do faith lesson there. Uh, that's, that's, that's the Mount of Olives right there. Now, if you look from the Mount of Olives, you see this. So now we're at the Mount of Olives, and we're looking down on the Temple Mount. The Dome of the Rock is where Solomon's Temple was, and 
Herods and Ezra and Nehemiahs. And if you can see, I don't think, does this thing have a, yes, it does. Can you see that? Can, can you use your voices? Can you see that? The red dot? Okay. Um, you see the gray dome right there? That's the Church of the Sepulcher. This right here is the Western Hill. So the Western Hill is higher than the Temple Mount or Mount Moriah, Moriah, and the Mount of Olives is higher than the Mount Moriah, than the Temple Mount. And yet Isaiah says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord will be raised above all the other mountains. It'll be chief, uh, I'm, I'm mixing up my, I had it. Uh, the mountain of the Lord, yeah, the mountain, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief amongst the mountains. It will be raised above the hills. I don't think Isaiah is saying here, hey, now is a good time to invest in Caterpillar. Okay? He's not saying that it's going to be physically. What he's talking about is it may, it's the lesser. It's the humble mountain. It's overseen by the olives and by the western. Be my witnesses. So it's the lower one. But it's going to be raised up in importance. It's going to be chief. Look at, look at the next sentence. And, and all the nations will what? Stream to it. Now, back in Ontario, water flows downhill. And here, they're streaming to it uphill. Talk to me about the passion of the nations who are, who, who, who. Now, why on earth, why on earth would the nations do this? And now we go to that last verse, verse 5, where it says, Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now, does your Bible say, let us walk in the light of the Lord? That if it does, because that's what mindset says, it, it, it sounds like an invitation, doesn't it? It sounds kind of like an invitation. It's not. It's an imperative. It's an imperative. It's a form of an imperative. In other words, walk in the light of the Lord. If you and I don't walk in the light of the Lord, well then, the nations will still be in darkness. You and I are going to embody in our lives what a God who judges and we're going to judge the same way. Do you realize how hard a time we had with the economy? There's a whole book called Judges. It's a story of the people of God refusing, refusing, refusing to appoint judges. And judges are over the marketplace. In other words, judges are what hold us accountable. We don't want to be held accountable. But when you have God's people who are walking in the light of the Lord, holding each other accountable, God shines through them in such a way that I'm telling you it's irresistible to the world. That's not what I wanted to teach you, though. What I wanted to teach you is this phrase right here. Almost done. Almost done. In the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord's temple, will be, that's it. What I want to talk to you about is in the last days. Now, this is where Brad is talking to me. See you later, sweetie. This is what Brad is talking to me about. Brad looked up the Hebrew for in the last days, and you could translate in the last days as in the behind you days. 
Now, the last days, are the last days in the future or are they in the past? I mean, is the end times in the future or in the past? Future, okay? But, Christopher, can I get you to help me just for a second? Just because I know your name. <laughs> I'm picking on you. <laughs> Come here one second. So if the last days, or in the last days, or in the behind you days, and that's the future, then, then what are you facing? Well, hold on. Now I want to go back to this. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and don't get it wrong. Okay? So... In this illustration, humbly, I'm going to represent God, and Christopher is going to represent Christopher. And I would like Christopher to walk. I'm facing this way, so I want you to walk before me and be blameless. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, don't get it wrong. Don't. <laughs> See? Okay, go. No, try it. Go ahead. Walk. No, that's wrong. No, no, no. Okay, come back, 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 back. I'll give you another crack, okay, because I'm a merciful. Um, Okay, I want you to take, okay, one step forward and then slide to the left. Sorry. I got you started. No, keep going. No, Christopher, no, it's wrong. Okay. See, okay, now, Christopher's going to represent God and I will do George. Okay, because this is what bugged me about that verse. And this is what bugged me with, with, with under the fig tree. And I'll tell you about under the fig tree tomorrow and how it kind of grew as a ministry and but I, I was just, it just bugged me because I didn't want to get it wrong. I want to please God, okay? So I'm, I'm, going, I'm going along and say, just like he did. I'm oh, sorry. Just, just like he, I'm going, is it this way? No, is it this way? No, you stay there. Is it this way? Is it this? And I, and I was having no fun. This is, not, this is not a way to walk with God. I, if this is the way it is, I don't like that. Then Brad comes and he says, <laughs> God says, walk before me. In the Hebrew, it literally says, walk to my face. Or you could translate, I am God Almighty, walk to my face, or walk facing me. In the last days are behind me, and I'm turning around, and I see the face of God. And this is the way I live. Now I want you to be me and I'll be you, okay? And okay, now God says, walk to my face. Walk facing me. Okay, now take one step backwards. Okay, shuffle once, once over to the right. Okay, and then and take two steps backwards and shuffle once to the left. Very good. Okay, come on now. That's perfect, perfect. Now come here, come here, come here. Okay. Now, this is what God says. Okay, you could be... You this is what God says, George, George, um, that person, forgive. That person, be patient. That person, don't, don't, don't return in kind. That person, keep no record of wrongs. That, to keep God's face in front of you. Listen, in, let's see if I got this right. Yeah. 
on the trips that we lead, and we were talking at supper time about the hiking and, and how you learn. We were talking a little about that. The trips that my mentor, Ray, I, I, think, I think it's pure genius. Pure genius. Because it, he got it from Jesus. And Jesus is right up there. In Greek, the word for walk is peripatao. Say peripatao. In Greek, the word for live is peripatao. Say peripatao. Your walk is your life. Your life is your walk. In the ancient period, they walked everywhere. They were 40 years in the wilderness walking with God. So that verse in the, it says, live as Jesus lived or walk as Jesus walked. It, it, both translations are equally 100% correct. I am God Almighty. Walk facing me. And, and be blameless. Now when you look at the God's face, one of the things you'll find there is his mouth. And what comes out of his mouth is his word. Now make no mistake. It looks like a book. It's got pages like a book. They're numbered like a book would number its pages. But make no mistake, this is not a book. Every time you read it, every time you read it, God is speaking. God is speaking. This is his word. Now, devotionals are great. Hey, I got one over there for sale. My problem with devotionals and with Christians today is that we know more about devotionals than we know about the word. We're confusing the servant or the servant and the master. Those help us to get to here. This does not help us to get to there. To walk before God, to walk facing him, to live facing him is to be face to face. And the most intimate thing when faces meet is not that eyelids touch or noses rub, but when lips meet. That no longer is my least favorite verse in the Bible. It's one of my favorite ones. And I really don't have a least favorite anymore. Isn't that cool? Pray with me, please. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, sovereign over all. Bless you and thank you, Father, that as we approach the last days, that in a very strong way, they are behind us, <laughs> and uh, you are before us. In this sense, Father, we don't face our futures. We face our Father. Now, granted, Father, when we live our life that way, when we walk that way, Sometimes we don't understand the movement of your hands, but we'll never question the motivation of your heart because you have earned our trust and we will endeavor to live lives of faith as we endeavor to obey you, not to affect you, but to reflect you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength because you, Father, 
you love us with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all of your son. So it is, as it always has been, always will be. We offer to you our prayer as we do our very lives. We do so in Jesus' name and all God's people said, and amen. Thank you.